Turn in your copy of God's Word to Jonah chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, turn there. Or your device, turn there. Or if you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 822. 822 in the Bible that's in front of you. You can follow along as we read chapter 4 together. Got to be honest, I think I'm going to miss the whale songs next week. Um, I might, can I get a copy of that so I can just l- go walk around and listen to it? I'm going I'm to miss it. Jonah chapter 4, as we close up the book of Jonah, as we've seen the prodigal prophet meet a glorified, merciful, glory God. Here we look as we see ourselves mostly in Jonah, but when we see Jonah, we see the grace that we found in God. Today, as we look and kind of close this chapter, we're going to learn that God cares for those far from him, and therefore, so should we. So let's begin by reading together in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish to, in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant, and then dawn came the next day. God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in the night and perished in the night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh? which is much more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? That is the question the Lord leads with us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we have just sung, speak. Speak clearly. Speak to our attitudes. Speak in our disobedience. Speak your truth. And may we find your love. And may we come to obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. Dr. Danny Aiken observes of this chapter, this book, excuse me, of Jonah. He says, chapter one is Jonah running away from God. Chapter two is running, God, is Jonah running to God. Chapter three is Jonah running with God. And chapter four is Jonah running against God. Hopefully by now that we have read this whole book, 
that we see that the hero of this story is certainly not the namesake of the book. It is not Jonah. The true star or hero of the story and of every book is God himself. G. Campbell Morgan once observed that men have been looking so hard at the great fish that they have failed to see a great God. And if God is the star, then what is it that we must learn from chapter 4? Well, we see that there is no way to get around Jonah's, Jonah's reaction to God's mercy than anything other than resentfulness. The whole chapter can be understood really by looking at the two questions that God asked Jonah. In both of them, they exposed that Jonah misunderstood God and his grace and misunderstood the heart of God. Jonah, who had received mercy from God, became angry when the same mercy was extended to others. So therefore, as we consider this book and this text, we must understand that we should be joyful because we have received mercy in Christ and that we must share the same mercy with others. You know, we are tempted in this book to quickly look and read to Jonah and say, how ungrateful Jonah is. Look at him and how he's acted. Look at how he's acted like a child. Instead of thinking this when we read this book, we probably should think to ourselves, if the heart of a prophet, one whom God extended a great ministry to Israel, and God used in a great way to bring a whole city to repentance, if a prophet can become so hard-hearted to the heart and grace of God, what do we need to do to guard our hearts in the same way? Friends, often we look at the sins that, that God uses to display in the Bible and we tempted to say, oh, look at them, when we really should be saying, God, look at my heart. Am I hard-hearted in the same way? Maybe you should ask the question this morning, is there any coldness in my heart towards the things for which God's heart is warm? Is there anything that God shows love and mercy and compassion in which I am showing the complete opposite? What attitude is in my heart that is keeping me from loving someone else? What is it in my heart that has grown so cold that when I see a lot around me that I am not moved to go share the gospel with them? How can it be that I love my tribe in my way so much that I'm not willing to love someone that I disagree with? There are many ways that we are opposite of the mercy we have received from God. And in the same way, we must guard our hearts from being so hardened. And in this passage, I want us to see three reasons we must guard our hearts from being hardened. So number one, if you're taking notes here or at home, we must guard our hearts 
from being hardened by remembering God's grace. We must guard our hearts from being hardened by remembering God's grace. Verse 1 through 4, Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? You know, the whole reason why Jonah ran for Tarshish in chapter 1 is revealed in chapter 4. The whole reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh was because he knew what the story was going to be in the end. Jonah knew a gracious and merciful, loving God meets people who respond in repentance to him. And so Jonah was angry for what God said he was going to do in the first place. The whole reason that God sent a prophet was for them to listen and repent and they listened and repented and received God's mercy and Jonah got angry well why was this well we know we've talked about it almost every week it was that Jonah didn't want them to receive mercy these were Israel's ancient enemies these were people who were who were the scourge of the ancient lands who who killed everyone in their sight did unspeakable things to women and children who did things to warriors that would that were that were immensely even gross for that time Jonah did not want them to receive mercy and grace yet Jonah was angry because he knew God would do what he said he would do Jonah even admitted as much that he knew because this is in very, God's very character. Jonah knew the Old Testament. He knew what God had revealed about himself, that he is a patient, loving, merciful God. And he quoted several scriptures from the Old Testament by summarizing them in one. That They show up several times throughout the Old Testament. The first time being in Exodus 34, 6, when it says, The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Brothers and sisters, this is God speaking about God. This is about him speaking about himself to us, saying that he is a God who is faithful and compassionate and slow to anger and loving, that he understands truth. And when people repent, and that they will meet this God who is merciful and patient and gentle. Jonah did not only know this because he knew his Bible. It wasn't because he also grew up in Awana and had won his RA stickers and memorized that scripture. No, it was because also Jonah knew this experientially. It just happened. Jonah was going the opposite direction that God had told him to go. He was plainly disobedient. He was knowingly disobeying what God had wanted him to do. And yet, God sent to him mercy. 
that he was thrown in the ocean and yet swallowed by a fish and then returned right back to the ministry that he had been given as a prophet to speak for God. The Lord was compassionate and gracious and abounding in faithful love. And yet Jonah, though now in chapter 3 and chapter 4, had obeyed God, had lost sight, and been hardened to the mercy of God. Think of the depths of our sin. Think of the depths of your sin of the times that God had met you in patience and gentleness and kindness. Brothers and sisters, shouldn't we in the same way meet with gentleness, patience, and love with others, especially those who are lost and new believers, that we would extend to others the same grace and mercy that has been extended to us? We know that God desires all people to turn to him and therefore God is then patient, waiting, knowing that his goodness and kindness is irresistible. 2 Peter 3, 9 tells us the Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish but to all to come to repentance. Brothers and sisters, consider the patience and faithfulness that you, in, in saving you, and that he's overlooked everything to be gentle to you. Let me ask you this. How often are you gentle with others? How often are you patient with others? How often do you give grace to others because you've experienced the same grace? Many times we're like a certain husband and wife that the wife began to cook for her new husband and, and the first meal, everything was burnt. I mean, she burnt even the vegetables. Everything was burnt. And a dutiful husband sat there and ate every bit of it. And the next night, the husband thought, let me take something off my wife. Let me, let me cook a meal. So he cooks the meal. And the wife and him sit down to this meal, and she picks something up, takes a bite of the chicken. It's dry. I can't eat this. And she walks away. Many times when we've received grace and mercy from others, we don't extend the same mercy and grace back. We are saved by a spirit of mercy and, un and forgiveness that we should extend to others. We do not give the same grace that God has given us. Many times we look down on people and their sin, forgetting that, that the same sin God pulled us out of. Sometimes we have no grace with others that we disagree with biblically when there were many times we disagreed with God and yet he was patient to show us by his grace. A spirit of unforgiveness and lack of generosity is an indication that you are out of touch with the grace of God in your own life. 
to guard our hearts from this, we should then look to the grace of God that we have received. We should delight in a God who is forgiving, who is loving, who is faithful, who has a God-like heart that produces not, doesn't come out of the fear of being in the belly of a fish, but instead has been produced by grace. Us receiving something that we didn't deserve. Us, while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us to understand that, we, that Jesus saved us from our own death, from our own belly of the whale, for taking our sin, for paying all of it by his death. It is that grace that we look to that we might extend that grace to others. So we need to guard our hearts by looking at grace. But we also must, number two, guard our hearts from idolatry by remembering God loves the world. We must guard our hearts from idolatry by remembering that God loves the world. Now, I'm not going to read verses 5 through 11, but basically what happens is, is God appointed, it is the same word that's been used throughout this book, that God ordained, sovereignly planned, and moved and worked, just as God appointed Jonah to go and tell, in the same way he appointed a vine and a flower or a leaf to grow up, this big vine, to produce shade. Jonah acted like a pestilent child. He was mad. He went out to the eastern side of the city. He sat there looking and was hoping, literally hoping, that the people would not repent and that the city would burn to ashes and that he just sat there grumbling as he watched God's mercy take seed. And so God used this as an object lesson to show him his heart, to show that Jonah's heart had rejected God's heart. In verse, we see that the, the vine grew appointed by God and the very next night he appointed a worm or caterpillar or whatever to chew the vine and it died. So then, then Jonah was sitting in the, in the hot sun with a hot eastern wind and, and his head was so hot that he was about to faint. And I kind of know a little bit of something about that. And so he was angry. God, would you, why'd you take this shade from me? In verse 9 again, God asks and responds with a question. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, Jonah yelled. I'm mad enough to die. God, you took this from me. So God addressed the issue of comfort that was in Jonah's life. The plant had become an idol for Jonah, the one in which he lived off of. Oh, oh, while I'm sitting here angry, look, God, this plant is everything to me. We know that idols are anything that we take that we feel so strongly about that we would be willing to sin about. So God then spoke to Jonah. You cared about a plant for which you did not labor or you did not grow. Jonah, you weren't the gardener. You didn't put any miracle grow on this. You didn't plant the seed. You didn't do anything to this plant. It just came for you. And yet, you care more about this plant, this entire city over here. God, think, Jonah, think about this. There's a, there is an immense 
city of people who are image bearers of me, the triune God. And yet, I know that they don't know their right hand from their left hand. But Jonah, your heart is in the wrong place because my heart is for the redemption of all people. Since God is saying to Jonah, who are you to question me? Now the scholars say, they, they argue what this 120,000 means. Some people say that it's children. There's 120,000 children in here. Well, if that's the case, there's probably 600,000 people in this city. If it's not that, then it's 120,000. If you're thinking of, of Nineveh proper, it's probably the entire population. God is saying, I care for every person there that they would repent and glorify me. The phrase, who, who does not know their right hand from their left hand, this is just basically God confirming that they have a moral confusion of uncertainty, that they don't know where their hope is in. They, they've just followed immorality because they have no faithfulness. They have no grounding in God. Let's not overlook the sinfulness of Jonah's desires. No matter how you slice it, Jonah was sitting outside of the city hoping for the death of 120,000 children or people, however you want to read it, he wanted them to die. Friends, that is appalling that he was sitting there hoping that they would die going to eternity in hell because they were enemies of his country. Here again, we see that Jonah and all of us miss the heart of God often in our lives for the heart of God, for the love of the nations and the lost. Jonah loved a plant more than he loved the things that God loved. And we should love the things that God loves more than we love the stuff that we've put our hearts behind. There are two things here that are at display. God loves and desires the nations to glorify him. That's number one. We've seen consistently the message of God, even from the beginning of the Bible, that God wants the well-being of the whole world. Even in his promise to Abraham, the promise to Abraham was that you were to receive the land so that all the people of the world will be blessed. Not just Israel, just not your family, but the whole world would be blessed because one day I will bring about the salvation of the world. Later on, we see a promise or, or an example of the prophet Elijah was able to provide bread and oil for a Gentile widow who, who didn't have anything. But it was in that while Israel was being judged by Gentiles, God sent a prophet to a Gentile widow to say, I am going to care for you through salvation in the same way one day. Here, God was confirming his love for the nations. And then fast forwarding now to Jonah. God sent a prophet and he didn't stop when he was swallowed by a fish. God was undeterred to send a resounding message of repentance to a Gentile Nineveh so that they might come to faith and repentance to him. And this is the story of the whole Bible. 
that God has created humanity, whether Israel or Gentile, to come to faith and acknowledge him as God and worship him. And we read in Revelation 15, 4, Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and because your righteous acts have been revealed. That's the end of the story. God will work to bring all nations to himself. And may we be careful, brothers and sisters, to not fall in the same place as Jonah and forget that God loves and wants the gospel to go to all nations. We are people and who have come to saving faith because the grace of God have brought the gospel to us that we have now seen the hope of the world. But there's a whole world that does not have hope that needs to hear it from us. And in this, we have come to know because of God's word that every human bears the image of God. Every person is special and their life must be protected. From the womb to the tomb, every person of every race, color, nationality, religion, and gender must never face any hatred, prejudice, death, or violence. Every person is the image bearer, and if you can't affirm this, brothers and sisters, you may not be a Christian. Actually, I'm going to say it. You aren't a Christian because you can't affirm the image-bearing nature of a person in human Does every person receive judgment of God? Absolutely. Me included. You included. But God loves all people and extends his grace that the sun and the rain comes upon the just and the unjust and that God wants and is patient for the nations to come to him. And therefore, if he loves the nations, if he loves all people, we should love all people. Now today... We celebrate or we honor, is the best word, those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice by dying and serving in the military for our freedom. There are many families who have shed tears over the shed blood of those who have died protecting us on many distant foreign shores as well as our own. In many ways, we Give honor to whom honor is due, knowing that this has happened for our freedom. And we grieve. But we also understand that this calls us to something differently to see the world as a Christian. Because we know that the Christian family member who had lost a family member serving in the Vietnam War and was killed by a Vietnamese soldier... If the same Vietnamese soldier or family moved next door or moved in our circles, we love them and share the gospel with them. If we had a family member who who was laid waste by a Muslim in the battlefields of Afghanistan and and, uh, in Iraq, and God for some reason moved a Muslim neighbor to our next door, We would love that family and their children by the grace of God so that they would hear the gospel and be saved. We know that God has a heart for the nations. And we as Christians must extend that same grace that has came to us. 
Because if God loves them, so should we. But also, we see here, Jonah missed God's love for the lost. Brothers and sisters, we can't read the Gospels. We can't read the New Testament. We can't read any part of the Bible and not see that God loves prodigal sons and daughters. We can't read and understand that he's a God that leaves the 99 to go after the one. We know as we read our Bible that as God loves sinners, he died for them. And this is the heart of God that must be the heart of his people. We must have the same love for the lost people that God has for lost people. We must have the same love that Paul displays and cries out as he thinks about his fellow Israelites who have rejected Christ in Romans chapter 9. Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. The ancestors are theirs, and from them, by physical descent, came the Christ, who is God over all, praised forever. Amen. Do you hear Paul's heart? displaying God's heart, that he said that I wish that I would even be cut off from Christ, that if my brothers and sisters would come to know him. May we be cautious for our lackadaisical and cold hearts to the lost people who are around us. We could too quickly fall in love with things that don't matter just like Jonah We can fall in love with these things and love those things more than we love people who are lost and dying without salvation. We can love our careers. We can love what people think about us. We can fall in love with our personal time and our family time. We can fall in love with many things that distract us from the love that God would have for us, that, that even though that we might have a hard time of sharing the gospel and sharing the truth, that we should still seek after the lost because God does. If we know the heart of God, we cannot allow these things to distract us from the heart of God. What he loves, we love. If he loves the lost, then we must go to the lost. We don't sit under a fig tree and a leaf and hope for their demise. We don't even sit in our air conditioning with apathy. Brothers and sisters, that's probably worse. When we don't even care about those who are lost around us. Instead, we give our lives to share the gospel to our friends, family, and relatives. And some of us, even some of us, God is calling to go to the nations. And some of us right now will not let go of the things that we love to take hold of the things that God loves. Some of us are being called to a short-term mission trip, and yet we won't let go of our vacation time. God has called some of us to go on a long-term mission, but we won't let go of our long-term plans that we've already made for ourselves that has nothing 
but God's nothing to do with God in us. God has called some of you to a vocational change of life, and yet you are too in love with this world to follow what God has set before you, to go to the nations and follow God and what he's in love with. And some of you, God is calling, and God is saying, go, and you need to go. The father of Baptist missions who gave his life for the Burmese, Adoniram Judson, said this, but surely, if any sin will lie with crushing weight on the trembling, shrinking soul when grim death draws near, it is the sin of turning a deaf ear to the palliative, painful cry of tens of millions of immortal beings who day and night cry out, come and save us because we're sinking into hell. Brothers and sisters, we need to guard our hearts from being hardened to the lost. And we need to evaluate what we love. Do we love the things that God loves? Therefore, number three, we must go with the gospel because God wants us to be conformed to his heart. We must go with the gospel because God wants us to be conformed to his heart. You know, we would need to be careful that we don't become like Jonah. Where Jonah was reluctant, we need to be willing. Where Jonah complained, we need to be joyful. Where Jonah was merely uncomfortable, may we risk it all to go with the gospel. Well, why do we do this? Because there is one who is greater than Jonah came and died for us and paid the penalty with his own blood, that he went into the belly of death. And three days later, he arose, showing that he conquered sin and death. And that Jesus proclaims a wondrous truth that those who repent and believe will be saved eternally. And this we can stake our lives on. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus tells us that this is just a sign of things to come. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, teacher, we need a sign for you. He answered them, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of a prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish three days and three nights, so the son of man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Brothers, this is a message of Jonah was to prepare us for the savior of the truth come. And that hope and truth in him is the one who saves. And we know that because we've been saved by it. And since Jesus in his gospel, then we must go. The great Lottie Moon says this. A young man should not ask, not if it's his duty to go to the heathen, but if he may dare stay at home. The command is plain and simple. Go. Brothers and sisters, may I ask you to ask this question to God yourself this morning? You ask it on behalf of your own heart. What is it that is keeping you to love the things that God loves? 
What is it that is keeping you from extending mercy and grace to others? And ask this question. God, would you have me to go to gospel to every home? God, does your grace demand me to go? God, does your love for the lost demand me to go? God, I have given my reasons to not go. God, what is your reasons for me to go? What does the Lord say to you in that? What does he say? I don't say this to say that I want you to please me or Mark or Alan or Colin or anyone to say, oh, look, he can, they can say to the KBC, look at all these people that showed up. No, but that you have actually studied the scriptures and that you've looked at the heart of God and you've asked yourself, what does God intend for me to do to gospel? Be careful of a hardened heart the way that Jonah had. Maybe you need to come to a new form of obedience in a faithful kind of way. And if you're an unbeliever or skeptic today, can you see this beautiful gift in the book of Jonah? That throughout history, God has shown that he loves people far from him and that he loves you and that he has sent his son to pay for your sins and that all you have to do is to receive this gift in faith. Not clean yourself up to earn it, not work really hard to obtain it, but that you would repent and turn to him and believe in what his son has done and you can be saved and you would experience a new, better kind of love. God loves the world and he loves but he loves his redeemed in a special way because he died for it. If you're far from him, repent and believe. Brothers and sisters, look at this wonderful display and event of God's mercy and grace in the life of Jonah and in the city of Nineveh. And I pray that we would join his work of grace and love to the nations where we are. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this both example of what not to do and how we've hardened our hearts to your ways and to your love, but also this command to go. Just as Jonah had been sent to go, positioned to go, ordained to go, set out to go, so should we. God, I'm thankful that you care for those who are far from you because I was there and I'm thankful 
that that mercy came to me. God, I pray that that mercy that we know would now go from this place, change our hearts, and change the world. We'd ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.